You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey everybody, welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee and joining me in Southampton, England is Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, how are you today? Good. Awesome. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm I'm hanging in there. It's uh, you know, we see light at the end of the tunnel where curling is on TV. My wife is half vaccinated. I'm half vaccinated. Congratulations. It's very exciting. Yeah, the the world is our oyster. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing changes when you get half vaccinated, except I got sick for 24 hours. Do you think it'll be 48 hours when you get fully vaccinated? Oh, is it worse when you get the second dose? I assume so. I don't I don't think we should speculate and scare people from taking the vaccine, Ryan. That would not be mm-hmm. responsible. No. You did not no one gets no one gets sick. You did not actually get sick. You were lying. Um get the vaccine so that we can actually have bond spills again. That would be great. It wasn't that bad. I just had a fever and a headache and then I felt fine. So what do you want to talk about today, Ryan? Well, I want to talk about men's worlds, man, or as we should refer to it, the first Olympic qualifier, the first Olympic qualifier. That is basically what it is. Yeah. At this year's worlds, you have to get into the top six to qualify for the Olympics. China is already qualified. However, if they finish in the top six, the seventh place team is not heading to Olympics. There's just going to be an additional spot available at the Olympic qualification events, but got to make the playoffs in order to go to the Olympics here at this year's men's worlds, AKA the first Olympic qualifier. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess it basically is. So basically you got to make the playoffs which will make it interesting. The obvious big wrench in everything is that no one's had a season to prepare. So we saw this at the the Scotties and the Briar. They gave us a little bit of a sense of how things are going to play out. I think the shooting, to my mind, the shooting was down about 5 to 10%, about 5% for the good teams, maybe. And, and like the draw was definitely like a lot worse to start the week. So there was not quite as sharp shooting, I guess. And a few more upsets, but in the end, kind of the favor teams ended up triumphing in both the Scotties and the Briar. So I would expect something fairly similar here. How much are these federations freaking out over the fact that one, they only get one kick at the can, and two, there hasn't been much curling this year other than against each other, against your own countrymen? We will talk about the exceptions later on. I... I mean, I guess I think that if you're in this event, you're feeling pretty good about your chances, I would say. I think it's the other countries that are kind of bubble countries, if we will, that, you know, like a Czech Republic that's not here. Finland. Finland, right? Countries that we've seen kind of put on decent showings at Worlds and international events and have qualified in the recent past for Olympics who just because of the way things 
worked out this year didn't get a shot. And so they, they're basically letting everything ride on the Olympic qualifying tournament. I think they're a lot more worried than these teams are. Yeah, there are 14 teams at this event. 10 teams will qualify for the Olympics. So if, if you are in this event, you have a, a decent shot. There's going to be four teams, at least four teams that are in this world that will not be going to Beijing. If you are in this world's field, you are guaranteed a spot at the Olympic qualification event, which will be held December 5th through 10th. Uh, Every team that doesn't make playoffs here, obviously, except for China, who already knows that they're going to Beijing, is eligible to participate in that event. And they'll be joined by some qualifiers from the open entry pre-Olympic qualification event, which is currently scheduled for October 23rd through 30th. Yeah, so I think if you're here, you feel like you've got two two kicks of the can, right? You, you qualify for playoffs this week, or you, um, you you go to the Olympic qualifying tournament, which would be a weaker field, and, and try to qualify that way. So I think I, I would feel pretty good if I was in this field about my chances. Certainly not a lock, but I've got two shots at getting in. All right. So do you want to go on to the teams that are going to be there? Sure. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to go through all the teams or do you want to... Let's just go through the teams quickly and just kind of give the background on all of them just so everyone's aware of who they are. I mean, we we bill ourselves as as the global uh, podcast, so I, th- I feel like it's, it's partially on us to kind of give people background on these teams. So I think we should go team by team. Yeah, that sounds good. I don't, I mean, it's again, it's like the Briar in the sense the field is not that different from last year's field. Like it's a lot of familiar faces, right? So there are some new faces. We have three, four rookie skips, I believe. Four, uh, four rookie skips, which we'll get into. All right. So how are we going to do this? Uh, Let's just go, just go alphabetical order. All right. And we will start with one of those rookie skips. He's a, He's a household name in curling circles, but this he did win his first briar just recently, and that is Brendan Botcher. He will be representing Canada. Uh, as we said, this is his first time at Worlds. However, he did win gold for Canada at the 2012 World Juniors. Yeah, I don't. I guess he's a rookie skip, but um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I guess I, I don't. I don't think it's that big of a deal for Botcher. So. Um, yeah. Also big advantage. He's been through this before he's been in the bubble. He was there for the briar. I assume they're still staying at that Sheridan four points that was used for the Scotties and the briar. I assume that's going to be used. So he's going to be even used to the hotel that, uh, that's going to be used for this event. Very likely. Um, he does have one thing going against him and that is the schedule. The schedule makers did Brendan Botcher absolutely no favors. So Canada has same day back-to-backs on four consecutive days. And in all four cases, the team they play in the second half of that back-to-back will have had the previous session off. It's just just brutal scheduling for Canada. Uh, I guess so. I don't... Uh, two game days isn't that bad a big a deal. So <laughs> I four, don't four in a row, and then in most cases, most countries have two, maybe three, and then for them to have four and have them be on consecutive days, that's pretty rough. It's not that rough. That's called a bond spiel, right? 
All right. <laughs> I'm wrong. All right. I don't know. I, I mean, I A, if you play in a bond spiel, you normally play at least two day, three straight days back to back to back, and you may have a three-game Dane in there, right? B, having played in a world championship event now and kind of seen how it's all spaced out, two game days were not a big problem, right? So I, I actually think it's it's a little oversold and breaking news, Team Botcher's in far better shape than I am. So <laughs> I don't... Did you have the pressure of having to qualify your country for the Olympics at this world tournament that you were in, Jonathan? No, but I don't think I don't think that's that. I just think it's like we're um, like I think a three day. If you get okay, my basic rule of thumb is up till about twenty four ends in a day. If I'm playing front end, I can do that, no problem. You start getting up into the high twenty, so basically a three game ten end day, ten three game ten end game day. That's that's where it gets tough, right? It's you're basically at that point on the ice ten hours. There's not much break, none of that. They don't really have that unless it's the the tie break situation that they had during the Scotties. Um, but aside from that, I don't. I just don't think it's that significant a factor. Personally, I know. I, I think this actually comes from like curling's weird anxiety about being a sport and athleticism and all that, but. It's basically understanding the demands it puts on you and the repetitions. I think it's. I think they'll be fine. I don't think that's going to be a big factor at all. So you're saying four straight days of having same day back to backs. Your opinion is doesn't matter. Then I'll have a bunch of one day game days. I think it'll be fine. Like I actually, I in some ways actually think it's slightly advantageous because the harder thing I've found, both from coaching and from playing in these events, is when you actually have a no game day or a one game day. And you've got a lot of downtime and the mental drag is as much as the physical drag and just sitting and churning through a high pressure situation is not that great. It's far better to be playing and kind of on the ice than sitting in your hotel. I and mean, this would be suck actually, because you know, the only thing you could do is sit in your hotel room and watch Netflix or whatever. So that I think that's a bigger challenge, the downtime rather than kind of playing on the ice personally. All right, we will move on to China, and their skip is Zhou Chaun. This is his third appearance at Worlds, his second as a skip. And when I give these numbers, I am not going to count any situation where someone went to Worlds as an alternate and did not play. So when I say how many Worlds they've been to and how many times they've been there as a skip, I am only counting Worlds in which they actually played. Uh, so Zhou Chaun, this is his third Worlds, his second as a skip. So we have seen him at Worlds before. He's a veteran player, and he's got some younger front-end guys with him. And, you know, this is probably the team that we know the least about. So we wanted to give you more uh, more of an in-depth look at this team. So we spoke to their coach, Soren Gran. He was very nice to give us some of his time. It was early in the morning there in China, but he did speak to us. So we're going to let him tell you about Team China. All right. Well, Soren, uh, thanks for your time. Really just looking to get information on this this men's team that you're going to bring to the Calgary bubble. What can you tell us about this group of guys that you're going to bring to the World Championships? First of all, it's a selected team. And uh, we have selected the best players we have in China to create a team around. So, uh, yeah, it's the best Chinese team we can go go and play with there. So, 
Yeah, and uh, Zoe Chown, who is the skip, I mean, he, and it looks like you've put a, a younger team around him, but he's obviously a veteran skip. We've seen him before at the World Championships. What is it that makes him um, best suited to, to lead your team and play skip for you guys? Uh, when we arrived here two and a half years ago, he was the guy who was running the team and, and was the skip at the time. And actually, after searching around in China, we have not uh, found anyone better for it. That's how our selection system works. And uh, the last one was Rui Li. Rui. He was uh, skipping in uh, the team, trying to go to Pyeongchang, and he retired directly after that. So it was kind of easy to build a team around him. And of course, he also showed the skills to be the leader of the team. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, about the guys that are that are going to be with him? It seems like they're they're younger. They're kind of relatively new out of juniors. What have they shown you uh, to to make it to where you guys chose them to to take to Calgary? Yeah, the, the the first one was the selection system we had that we had all the athletes around us from China that are potentially players for the for the for the worlds and the men's, uh, and uh, it is a young group of athletes in China overall. Uh, most of them quit playing around uh, 28, 30 years old uh, because, first of all, they are in the system for maybe already 10 years at that time. So they are ready to start new careers. That's the China system. Uh, then, of course, the young players are, uh, I think only two of them have been to the World Juniors before. That's, uh, I don't know the Chinese name of them. I call them Jerry and Derek. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the, one guy is called Wang. And the other one is Tian. Is Tian. Tian yeah. They are number three and number two. The guy, Zhu, XU, he had been playing with the, uh, Seoul before. Oh, yeah. I think I, I think I remember him from uh, two years ago, the last time that that men's was was in Canada. Um, I mean, what can you tell us about uh, about these guys? What, what do you like about working with them the most? I mean, first of all, they are full-time athletes, so they have no other jobs or anything. So they are committed to curling uh, 100%. It was a little bit of a, of a uh, changing, changing for us to, to work with them because I would not say they were 100% committed when we started here. So our job had been a lot to uh, encourage them to understand that this is a 100% job and they have to do the job. Because uh, normally Chinese people only do what they ask to do, and we try to build in for them to take more ownership of what they are doing. And that has been the biggest challenge for us. And they have started to, to improve on that, and right now we have a very, very good uh, dynamic in the team and for the whole men's team. Does it look like this is going to be the team that you're going to take to to Beijing, or will a lot of it depend on how they do in this tournament? You might shake things up depending on the results in Calgary. For the men's team, I'm pretty sure we will come with the five players we have. Uh, we have three more players in the group, uh, but they are mostly here to support the other five to be better. And that's the system we built up here to have it like that. Uh, the only thing I think will maybe, it's going to be a big, big change if something happens. Uh, I'm not telling they are already, already selected, but more or less, yes. The only other question I have for you as far as the men's team goes is, you know, how much have you guys gotten to play um, other than just scrimmaging against each other in the last year? And what impact do you think that'll have on on how your guys do in Calgary? Uh, we have played zero games since last year. We was in uh, Aberdeen in March last year and played a, should play the preparing for the World Championship. And after that, we only have, uh, have uh, created... Uh, 
internal games against the support team, as I call them. Uh, so, of course, we have a big lack of, of, of games. But, you know, we watch the Canadian Championship now. It seems they are more worried than we are about that, mm-hmm. not playing games. There was a lot to talk about. Oh, no games, no preparation, mid-season, post-season. So I'm happy to hear that. That means that we have a chance to go from the same level as they are. We are not worried about that. Yeah, it sounds like the the teams that went home from the Briar, vast majority of them are not going to have access to practice ice until they get back into the bubble for Worlds in Calgary. So, uh, yeah, I think everybody will be kind of on equal footing once Worlds gets underway. Yeah, and also the thing I try to say here, they mentally talk themselves into that they have a problem. And I think that could be advantage for us. All right. Well, Soren, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of background on on the men's team. Good luck to you guys and uh, safe travels to Calgary. Thank you very much. All right, Jonathan, any thoughts on Team China? I mean, this is, they're playing with house money. They know they're already in. Yeah, I don't know enough about them to say anything. Uh, intelligent. I do know they've put a lot of money into building up the program and they've brought in some top coaching over this cycle. And I know they've always, they've had a reputation for the last decade of being probably the country where their athletes practice the most, right? Like I've heard stories of like throwing four or 500 stones a day per player kind of stuff. I'm not sure if that's Soren Grand's approach, but that certainly at some points has been the approach there. So um, the stereotype, if you will, is is kind of very good technical proficiency, um, but uh, perhaps a bit less match experience. And so tend to tend to struggle a bit with the strategy, but they brought in some good coaching to address some of those issues also. So we'll see how it plays out. All right, moving on to Denmark. Very interesting about this team. Their world championships qualifier was halted, and we did an entire episode about that where we talked to both a player and the president of the Danish Curling Federation about how COVID-19 put a halt uh, to their world's qualifier in the middle of it. So with that unable to be played, what they have done is they have taken all of the players that were in their high-performance program, and they have selected a team to go. And it's kind of a mixture of teams. You have both skips from the two primary teams in Denmark are going to be there. We, are, we aren't we are completely sure about what the lineup's going to be, but Michael Kraus, who skipped the team that finished fourth at Euros in 2019, will be there. Tobias Tuna, who had a successful junior career representing Denmark, will also be there. He had skipped his own team. And someone who we've had on the show, Mads Norgard, he is usually a member of Team Kraus. He's going to been, be there. According to Mads, he's going to be skipping the team. So I don't know if that's a situation where they wanted it to be, I guess, a neutral party rather than having either Kraus or Tuna uh, be the skip of the team. So Mads told us on Instagram that he's going to be skipping. So that'll be interesting. We don't know where he's going to, where the, the lineup's going to shake out. Uh, this is the first worlds for Denmark without Rasmus Sterna since 2011. So Jonathan, what do we think of kind of a combined team? And uh, if you if you do want to know more about this team, we had another episode in January called uh, There's Nothing Rotten About Curling in Denmark, where we talked to, to Mads uh, extensively about his background. So if you want to know more about him, go listen to that episode. Uh, Jonathan, what do we think about a a team that's kind of a, a blending together? 
I I mean, under normal years, I think it'd be not a good idea at all, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just because you're going in blind. But, um, you know, we, we heard a lot of stories out of the bubble so far of, of teams that like, the first time they'd saw their teammate was like right at the start of practice, <laughs> right, for the event. So yep. I think a lot of teams are kind of in that boat this year. So probably a bit less of an issue given the the lack of a season. But um boy, I would not want to throw a new lineup out a, a kind of at a world championship for the first time. That's that's going to be a challenge for sure. Yeah, and I mean they're all they're all rookies anyway and uh Denmark's best finish, they finished second in 2016 with Rasmus Sterna. Uh, moving on to Germany, and Germany's best finish at a Worlds is second. They've done it five times, the last time in 2007. Uh, the skip for this team, uh, sort of fresh out of ju- out of juniors, is Sixten Totsik. So, Jonathan, you might be familiar with him. I believe he's been at World Junior Bs before. but this, So this is his first Worlds and his first Worlds as a skip. However, he does have... Uh, some experience at third in Mark Muscatavitz. He had skipped this team at the previous Worlds. In fact, he was the skip of this team until kind of the middle of the season. They decided to switch. So now uh, they are Team Totsik when they're on uh, tour. But now Sixten Totsik is skipping and Mark Muscatavitz is the vice. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a good, they're a very good team. They did very well last year at uh, the Junior Bs. Um, they went up. They get the did not get to play in the A's, obviously, because that was canceled. But um, you know, uh, been and they were. It was between them and Sweden were both kind of class of the field. So a, a pretty strong team, and definitely someone that the German program has been developing as one of their skips of the future for a while now. So uh, I, I think a good chance to debut again. The lack of a season and the fact that it's kind of a slightly tweaked lineup. Um, is going to raise issues here as well, but definitely, I th- I'd say long term, I think German, I think German men's curling's really kind of improved its depth. I'd say over the last two Olympic cycles, put it that way. Yeah. And and there's a lot of kind of good junior curlers coming up in their teens and early twenties to to watch out for. Uh, this team has gotten some games in. They had. They went three and three against Yannick Schwaller in a series, and they went two and five against Joel Retornas in a warm-up series. So they have gotten some games in under their belts. I believe they also appeared in a couple of World Curling Tour events before the season got shut down. Okay, moving on to Italy. Italy's best finish at a men's worlds was sixth in 1982. Their skip is Joel Retornas. This is his seventh Worlds and his sixth as a skip. He He's a veteran. His best finish at Worlds, however, was seventh in 2019 when I think he was one win away in the last draw from making his first playoffs and came up just short. But this is one of those teams that, honestly, you kind of root for. Joel's been around a while. He's been very close to making playoffs at Worlds. They're, they're just on the cusp of being a playoff team. This team has started to get a little more professional. I talked to Joel at the uh, at Curling Night in America in Raleigh last year, and he said that he, his three teammates are now a part of the you know the the program that they have with the Italian military, where they can be in the military but also be professional 
athletes. So they are in that program now. So a little bit more professionalized for Italy now. And they were able to get three events in back in August, September, and October. Yeah. And so I, I think this, this is the kind of team where maybe the lack of a season kind of plays to their advantage just because they're not, they haven't really done any changes. Um, you know, there were no lineup changes to either the winner of the Scotties or the Briar. So I think maybe lineup stability is one thing we've learned kind of matters so far out of bubble curling. Uh, and, you know, the fact they've been kind of climbing the rank rankings kind of steadily the last few years, they have the experience now. If a few of the kind of regular favorites get off to a bit of a shaky start, that might kind of create an opportunity for Italy to, to get into the playoff position and, cl- and clinch an Olympic berth. So speaking of a lineup that's been together, we go to Japan, skipped by Yuta Matsumura. Japan's best finish in a men's worlds is fourth. They've done it twice, the last time in 2019. And that team in 2019 was skipped by Yuta. It was, that was his first time at Worlds. So this is his second time at Worlds looking to improve on that fourth place finish. This was the team that was added as the 14th team in the field. They had not qualified, or they did not qualify, for the 2020 Worlds. Um, the PACCs had lost their second automatic spot, and they were upset in the final by Korea. They then had to go to the World Qualification event, Yuta did not have a good week at that world qualification event in Finland and lost a very tough game uh, to decide the last spot in the 2020 Worlds. He lost to Russia, had one bad end, and wound up losing that game by one. Uh, This team has won the last three Japanese championships. They have gotten some games in. They played in two what they called strengthening events in Japan prior to the Japanese championships, and then they rolled through that tournament, winning their third straight. This team was kind of the the always a bridesmaid, never a bride team until after 2018, they added third Tetsuro Shimizu after the 2018 Olympic team broke up. Shimizu played in that Olympics and then wound up joining this team. And since he has, they have been the number one by far men's team in Japan. Jonathan, what do we think of them now that they kind of get uh, kind of get a second chance at life in the world's? I, again, I think they're probably a playoff contender. I, I guess I guess we're going to kind of go through tiers later on, but I wouldn't put them in the top tier to medal. Uh, if they did, if they medal, that would be kind of their like their dream week, if so to speak. But they're certainly certainly a playoff threat. Up next is Korea. Korea's best finish at a men's worlds is fourth. That was in twenty eighteen. No PACC country has ever meddled at a men's world. So we're still waiting for that first. We've seen on the women's side, the Pacific Asia nations really excel on the women's side. We have not seen them break through and medal on the men's side yet. This is a rookie skip. This is Jung Young Suk, and he is bringing a team of first timers to worlds. They finally won their first Korean championship. If you have ever seen video, it was very emotional for him after he made the final shot, just broke down there on the ice when he won his first Korean championship, beating Kim Chang Min in the final. Uh, three of the players on this team played together in a 2014 Pacific Asia Junior Curling Championships. But other than that, no international experience for this team. Yeah, and I can't find. I'm I'm looking at the Ken Palm ratings. They're not even in the top 100. So, 
doesn't mean that they're bad because as we said before, we, we shouldn't take the ratings as like literal truth. And especially in a year like this where there hasn't been much curling, there's very few chances to earn points. But um, basically, that'll be our first chance to see them kind of at this level of play. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Up next is the Netherlands. Best finish ever for the Netherlands at a men's worlds was seventh in 1994, and they are skipped by Jaap van Dorp. He's a familiar face. This is his fourth worlds and fourth as a skip, and I believe they've all been the the last four world championships. His best finish was 10th two times, the last time in 2019. Uh, Once again, Jaap will be throwing third stones, and Wouter Goskins will be throwing last stones. They were able to get four events in in August through October. I believe they made the final in one of those. Yep, they made the final and lost to Adin in, I think it was the Basel Cup, one one of the early season Swiss events. Although, yeah, so it was a good performance there for them to make the final, but also a thinner field just because of travel restrictions. I think the Scots weren't able to travel at that point in time, for example. I, I think th- they do very well on draw shot challenge, right? That's like always been their historical strength. Um, and if there's a bit of a log jam, they're a team that could kind of sneak in because that's one of the tiebreakers in WCF events. So, um you know, they'd have to, to to win a couple more games to kind of get themselves into that range. But if there is one of those log jams, and we've, we saw kind of a few potential log jam scenarios of the Briar, but, uh, you know, if it's a significant log jam for six, they have a chance, I think, to sneak in that way for sure. Up next is Norway. Norway has won Men's Worlds four times, the last time coming in 2014. Norway, this time around, skipped by Stefan Wallstad. This is his fourth trip to Worlds, his third time as a skip. He does have one playoff appearance as a skip, and he finished fifth in 2018. So interesting story about this team. It started out as Stefan's team. Then after Thomas Ulsrud's team, decided to retire, Olsrud joined this team. Then, coming into this season, they added Torger Nergard, and they booted Stefan Wallstad off the team. Now, Olsrud has left, Wallstad has rejoined, and he's skipping with Torger Nergard, Marcus Hoiberg, and Magnus Vagberg playing on what used to be Team Olsrud and is now Team Wallstad. Yeah, so a lot of lineup shuffles. I, I kind of, yeah, honestly, you lost me there with all the lineup changes. Yeah. But uh, Wallstat, yeah, I mean, it's Wallstat <laughs> plus Olsrud basically in my mind. Is that is that a good way to describe it or not? It was, but now Olsrud's now gone. Okay, now he's gone. Okay, so now this is back to being all Wallstat again. Okay. Yeah, this so, now all Wallstat all the time here. They did get a couple right. of internal um, events in Norway. Their record this year is eight and three but they haven't played anyone in the top 25. They haven't played anyone outside of Norway, I don't think. Yeah, but that's the case for a lot of teams this year. So, um, you know, they've got a bit more experience than they have in the past, but uh, I don't... Norway's kind of an interesting one. With, with Sans Olsrud, they're, they're kind of an up-and-down country, right? Like, if, they're, if they've had some very good runs and won the World Championship, they're, they're definitely capable of threatening for it, but there's other times where they're they're kind of just middle of the pack. So. All right. Up next is Russia. Russia's best finish at a men's world is ninth. They've done that twice. The last time in 2019, the skip on that team is back here in 2019. It is Sergei Glukov. 
This is his fourth appearance at Worlds, his second as a skip. This team actually did not win the Russian championships. That was Alexei Timofeev, who used to actually be on this team. In fact, he went with Glukov to the 2019 Worlds, but... Glukov lost to Timofeev in the Russian Championship, but the Russian Curling Federation, and again, this is not Russia, this is technically the Russian Curling Federation that is going to be at Worlds, uh, they selected um, Sergei Glukov to go to Worlds. I guess it looks like, the, it looks like Russia's had a very active internal season, <laughs> so yes, they've actually have. pulled this up and there's like records for 25 teams this year. <laughs> <laughs> they've, yeah. they, they've accumulated, I guess, not a lot of points, but in the I'm going off the, the Ken Pomeroy rankings because the other rankings have all been frozen. So that's on doubletakeout.com. So, yeah, Glukov's had a good season, but again, it's all teams outside There's only the top two teams. 25. In terms of what? There's only two teams that are worth anything in Russia. It's Timofeev and Glukov. Well, this it's one's only- got like, <laughs> got Alexander Araman at 62, Artem Shmakov at 82, Right, so I mean, it's tough to tell what's how much of this is just the fact that because they had a season, it's easier for them to accumulate points. But um, like Glukov's had the best season for sure, but there's there's actually on the Ken Palm ratings five teams in the top one hundred. Aramin's a decent team, but the only two teams that I would consider good are Glukov and Timofeev. All right, if you say so. All right, moving on to Scotland. It's Bruce Mowat. Uh, Scotland has won men's worlds four times. And before our Scottish listeners get mad and start throwing things, I am only including events where it was actually the World Curling Federation's World Championships. I'm not including results from the old Scotch Cup. So the actual men's worlds run by the world curling federation that has been won four times by scotland the last time in 2009 we may or may not have an episode about that coming up for you guys uh but this is bruce mowat's third trip to the worlds his third time as a skip he made the playoffs both previous times that he's been to worlds including a third place finish in 2018 there in vegas when it was his first trip to worlds they have only been able to play other Scottish teams, and in those four British curling events, they went 25-2 and two and won all four of them. Yeah, poor Ross Wade. It looks like he's gone 1-8 and eight against Bruce Mallett this year. <laughs> yeah, he's got a really good record against everybody else. <laughs> he's like 14-3 and three against everybody else and 1-8. and eight. Uh, So, ouch. That happens from time to time. I mean, for a long time, Johnny Moe couldn't get past uh, Randy Furby in Alberta, and Cooey <laughs> couldn't get past Kevin Martin. So, I, I mean, I, I honestly think they've had the most interesting season in the sense they've actually been able to be on the ice for the full season. Like, they've had full mm-hmm. access to the National Curling Academy, full access to their training, and uh, British curling has put on kind of in-house bond spiels against the other teams in the squad. So... If anyone's coming in match sharp, at least it's them. Now, obviously, that you can't quite, you can't precisely recreate the the effects of a world championship. But they're playing two other or three other good teams in the top twenty all season long. That's definitely going to keep you pretty match sharp. So, I think I think this kind of plays to their advantages. I'd say so. I would expect a good showing out of out of Scotland this week. 
All right. Up next is Sweden and it's Nicholas Adin. And Sweden has won Men's Worlds nine times. They are the defending champion. And Nicholas Adin has been to Worlds ten times. This is his tenth trip to Worlds, his ninth as a skip. He's made the playoffs seven times. And he's won this event four times, including, I believe, the last two. So Team Adin, they were able to get on tour a little bit. In August through October, they also had one made-for-TV game against Team Hasselborg. Do we think that they will be affected by a little bit of a layoff? Uh, maybe a bit. I mean, they've actually had ice time, right? So, because mm-hmm. like Sweden never fully locked down, they haven't had much match competition. I, I think they only played Hasselborg once, right? So, I, I don't yeah. know what the setup is for the Swedish kind of national team. Um, but they've clearly been on the ice all season, whereas, you know, there's there's kind of a really funny moment in the press scrum after the Briar where um, Brad Teeson's like, I'm not even sure if I can get practice ice uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> between now and the between now and the Worlds. And then Darren Molding was like, oh, we can get you practice ice. Don't yeah. worry about it. But, <laughs> but, you know, it's been obvious just from the comments of a lot of the curlers in Canada at the Briar and Scotties that pr- even just getting practice ice has been a challenge. That hasn't been the case for a lot of the European teams uh, where if they're on a national program and there's a national training center off, often there's been exceptions made to allow elite athletes to continue to train. So um, I, th- I actually think they're going to come in pretty sharp too. I think this probably plays to the, the European teams in the field this year. Up next is Switzerland, skipped by Peter de Cruz. Switzerland has won Men's Worlds three times, the last all the way back in 1992 with Marcus Egler. Uh, de Cruz has finished as high as third in this event. I believe he's done that all three times that he's been there before. Um, this team, they won the Swiss championships. They were able to get four events in back August through October. And then they had to beat Yannick Schwaller in a best of five to qualify for Worlds. They dropped the first two games of that series and then won the next three to qualify. So they've they've gotten some high-pressure games in coming into Worlds. And so it looks like they, they may have played the busiest schedule of any team coming in. 28-7, uh, and seven, so they've played 35 games. I assume mostly within Switzerland and and the Swiss championships will be a big part of that, but they've maybe not had a full season. Like you normally would think these days somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, like 60 to 70 games, the full season heading into a world championship, but they've had at least a decent season and kind of good competition in the Swiss national championship too. So another European team that's going to have a bit of an advantage, I think with match experience heading in. And finally, the USA, skipped by John Schuster. The U.S. has won this event three times, the last way back in 1978. This is John Schuster's ninth Worlds, his sixth as a skip. He's got three playoff appearances and one bronze medal from 2016. They really haven't gotten much live games in except for maybe scrimmages against other U.S. high-performance teams. So on, on Ken Palm, they're unrated because they have no official games mm-hmm. this year. So, um, I, I, I again, I don't know. Because the U.S., it's so spotty what's open and what's closed. Hard hard to know what's what their season's been like. I've seen a bit of stuff on social media of, of kind of high-performance teams playing at four seasons. So I'm sure 
Team Schuster would have taken advantage of that. But again, not really going in without kind of a full season. So that that might put them at a bit of a disadvantage. So Jonathan, how much does it matter that Botcher and most of the European teams outside of Scotland were able to have even an abbreviated four-tournament season through early November? I don't know. It's a, I think, okay, there's basically a couple of ways it matters. One is that it's, it kind of lets your team early on, if they're trying to make changes or improvements, kind of try it out in tournaments and kind of acquire or improve their skills that way. So teams that are deprived of the, the chance to do that are going to be deprived of the chance to improve. For new teams or teams that made lineup adjustments, it's absolutely essential that you go out and get um, more more competitive experience so that you can improve your team and kind of figure out what works and what doesn't and kind of get, get through that kind of gelling or forming experience that's, that's kind of crucial to perform at the highest level. So for those new those teams that have new lineups or made lineup changes, I think they're going to be at a pretty serious disadvantage. The teams that kept their lineups the same, that's going to help. I think that Botcher, I think Botcher and Dr. Cruz having gone through uh, championships the flip side, flip, flip side of Christmas, that's going to put them in a little bit more match sharp form, right? And I think for Botcher, I think Botchers are going with massive advantages actually that. They've they've they haven't played much, so they're not gonna be burned out, but they've played one really high performance event. They're gonna play the championships on the same ice, I believe with the same stones, unless WCF is bringing their own stones in, which again is another advantage because they'll have mapped those stones pretty closely. Um so they'll they'll know all the variables going in, whereas a lot of other teams will um will not it'll all be new to them the only disadvantage i think for the botcher team is if they're going briar um mixed doubles then worlds some of them may just be kind of bubble burned out by that point because that's that's basically at that point three plus weeks in the bubble which i imagine starts to drag in some ways yeah so the any disadvantage they have may be mental rather than than on ice yeah, I think on ice. Plus, they just looked really. By the end of the briar, they just looked really scary sharp. So, um, you know, and if they're playing at that level, really, really, I think Adin, to be honest, is the only team that can really hang with them at that level. All right. So, in order for them to qualify for the Olympics, they would have to finish in the top six. Jonathan, can you tell me the last time that Canada finished outside of the top six at a men's worlds? Did Cooey? That year where he broke up in 2014, did they make the top six? Yes. Wow. Then before that, I'd, I can't even can't even recall. 1976. Wow. <laughs> so that was the McDuff team from Newfoundland. Yeah, they went two and seven and finished ninth. Okay, so it's been a while. Yeah, so not exactly Jack McDuff going to Worlds here for Canada. I think they will be fine, and I think that they will make playoffs and go to the Olympics. So let's put these teams into tiers, and the way I kind of see it, because I hate making predictions, but the way I kind of see it is these teams, two break up into tiers, and I think Tier 1 is kind of reserved for teams that you would just be gobsmacked. And Jonathan, I am using the word gobsmacked if they didn't make the playoffs and had to go to the OQE. And for me, there's only three teams in this tier, and that is Canada, Sweden, and Switzerland. I would go Canada and Sweden. Um, and then I would slide Switzerland down to a, a lower tier. Really? 
Yeah. So you would not be surprised if Switzerland wound up outside of the top six? Uh, well, like, surprise, surprise, I don't know. <laughs> like, I I guess I would put it at better than 50% that Adin and Botcher made the final. Yeah, because, I mean, that's been the final. I mean, Canada versus Sweden's been the final uh, every year uh, since 2016. Which, by the way, Jonathan, do you know the last time that a team other than Canada and Sweden made the final? Can you name the country? It would have to be Norway. No, it was Rasmus Sterna. Oh, was it? So Sterna, yeah, when he played Denmark. Kui, yep. So Denmark. And then I was thinking of when Olsrud beat uh, Adin. Yeah, I think that was the last time that Canada didn't make the final. I, I, I sneak Switzerland into the top tier because, one, it's a veteran team. They've had the same lineup and they've gotten high. They've they've performed well in high pressure situations coming into this tournament. That's kind of why I add them in with Canada and Sweden as my. You can almost write it in pen that they're going to be going to the Olympics. Okay, I would go. All right, if it was me, I would go Canada, Sweden. The next tier is Switzerland, Scotland. And if okay. you told so, and basically, I would flip it around. And if you told me that the Cruz or Moet won the worlds i i wouldn't be surprised right i, I can see both of them winning like and, and not it wouldn't be a big stretch it would be like they just have a good week qualify and uh you know they have to beat canada or sweden which they're both fully capable of doing but i don't think that's as likely as canada and sweden beating switzerland scotland so to my mind i go canada sweden tier one Tier two, Switzerland, Scotland, and then I have a tier three, which I suspect has a lot of the similar teams that you have that you would want to talk about. Yeah, I kind of, I did it differently than you when I talked about tier. Like I would a, a tier one B would be, you know, I would be re, in a normal year, I would be very surprised if Scotland or the U.S. missed playoffs in a normal year, but because they have really only been able to play within their own country, I don't have them in that tier one. I have them in tier two, or I guess tier one B. Mm-hmm. Um, but tier two to me is teams that they are legitimate contenders to not just make the playoffs, but also medal. So I have Scotland in the US, who in a normal year would be borderline tier one. But then I also have Japan, Italy, and Germany. I think that those teams should be considered legitimate contenders to make the playoffs. And then in the case of Japan and Italy, like they could get to the playoffs and make some noise and possibly pull an upset and, and win a medal. Yeah, I guess I'm slicing it a bit finer because I'd probably go, if it was my tier three, it would be USA and Japan, right? Which I basically say mm-hmm. they'll probably make the playoffs and they're, they're a good chance they're playing for a medal on Sunday. Um, and then I would go Italy, Germany. I don't know enough about China, but maybe like Italy, Germany definitely are what I would call playoff bubble teams, right? Because mm-hmm. you've got seven teams down for, no, you've got, you've got eight teams down for six playoff spots. Yeah, I think, you can basically put Canada, Sweden, Switzerland in the playoffs. And then I think you've got three spots in the Olympics that's going to be decided between five teams. And those five teams are Scotland, the U.S., Japan, Italy, and Germany. So two of those teams will be out. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I think Scotland's pretty likely to also punch a ticket. Yeah, I do too. They're, I mean, they're in great form, but the only reason that I don't have them just straight up in that tier one is because they've only been able to play other Scottish teams. 
they yeah. haven't been on, they I, haven't been off the island. <laughs> yeah, and w- and what gives me pause about Team USA is Schuster's mo has been to to tour a lot in Canada, and that I think is what's really mm-hmm. helped him raise his game over the last decade. And he hasn't been able to play there this year, so I kind of worry that that USA is going with a bit of a disadvantage of not having had a season, but they're also a stable lineup. So maybe, maybe those two things kind of neutralize each other. And we talked about schedule with Botcher. The schedule makers also did no favors for team Schuster because in their first six games, they catch Sweden, Switzerland, and Canada. Mm-hmm. They could very easily be three and three after their first six games and having to to, to have the pressure really be on. Because as, we, as we've seen before, this team does tend to not start quick at international events. They kind of have to kind of get into the flow. So having those three really tough games within their first six, doing them no favors. Who are the other three they play? The other three they play are China, Germany, and Japan. That's actually tough then. <laughs> yeah, it is tough, especially that that game against Germany. That's going to be the second game of a back to back because in the morning they'll play a Dean, and then in the afternoon they'll play Germany. Yeah, I I kind of think China might be the because we just don't know much about them, but uh, they they're probably putting a lot of resource into to peaking for this. So mm-hmm. they are in my tier three, and that is teams that I think could pull an upset or two. And then if like draw shot challenge goes their way, they could find themselves in the playoffs. So the three teams I consider in that tier three are China, Denmark and Norway. Yeah. I might slide Netherlands in, but yeah, that's about right. I'd say. So here's why I don't have Netherlands there. And Netherlands is in my tier four, which is teams that it would just be an enormous upset if they got into the top six. And that's the Netherlands, Korea and Russia. And my thing with the Netherlands and Jaap Van Dorp is every year we do this world's preview and every year I pick them as my upset pick or my team to make some noise. And then they finish 10th again. Like they just, I don't know. They, they, they just don't punch through. They've been there a few times now and they still just don't get above 10th. Yeah. I mean, it's a big, it's a big jump at that point. Right. So uh, they're normally kind of in the top 30, top 30 to 40 in the world. Again, they haven't really played much this year and it was mostly kind of before, before the lockdown at Christmas time. So, uh, they do very well against teams 20, top 25, like from 25th place on up. And then it's really, they get to that top 25 zone and their, their record is not that strong against those teams. So they're. They're two and four against 25 and up by from 25th place to first, but they're 0 and one against top 10 teams. So, yeah, so they, they do, they, they still, they just, I, I'm not sure to my mind, they're the team that once they get that experience against the elite, they're probably going to put it together. The lack of a season, I think cuts against them because the way you close that gap once you're at that level is basically match experience against really good teams, learning what tactics work and don't work, kind of learning how to play against the Nicholas Adin. Because uh, against those teams, you probably get you probably get one chance a game, maybe two. And if you don't capitalize on it, that's it. You need to start paying attention to draw shot challenge numbers right from the start because it's going to matter. And honestly, it's probably going to determine Olympic spot, which I'm sure just infuriates everyone in North America. <laughs> I don't 
I don't mind. I mean, okay, so first of all, I think that risk is overblown because the first the first tie break is record against. So you, you have to come into a situation where it's a three-way tie and then no clear team has beaten the other team two times in a row. So everyone's one and one against each other. That actually happens very rarely in my experience because I've, you know, I've played in a lot of these competitions under WCF rules and I've never seen a case yet where DSC is the tiebreaker that's used. So to my mind, it probably happens less than 10% of the time. Just going off competitions I've played in. So it's so if it happens 10% of the time and you kind of look at, say, 20 competitions, two times it's going to happen, but it's not like a high probability event. I think that once you get outside of the top five, which in my mind, it's Canada, Sweden, Switzerland, Scotland, and the U.S., if you consider those to be the top five and those are likely going to make playoffs, so likely going to have five of those six spots, outside of them, there's not a lot separating probably six or seven teams. Yeah, so it could be. I think you could wind up with three teams tied for sixth and have those three teams all be one and one against each other, and then it takes DSC to determine the sixth and final Olympic spot. Yeah, that could happen. That'll be spicy. And then how about or- if that how about if China's the one who wins DSC, so then no one gets the spot and they all have to go to the OQE. Oh, is that what happens in that case? Yeah, if if China it makes the playoffs, the 7th place team does not go to the Olympics. There's just an extra spot available at the OQE. It goes from 3 to 4 spots available at the OQE. That's good. I like that. <laughs> Are we rooting for that now? <laughs> I I think the, I think the OQE they I think that hope I think that it should be made a bigger deal of cuz I actually I actually think in some ways it's the best tournament in curling. Like there are some fantastic, there've been some fantastic moments in that competition over the years, but it's only on the live stream and it's basically the last chance to qualify for the Olympics. And like when, when Johnny Yar for Germany qualified two Olympics ago and the celebration they did on the ice, like he was just ecstatic, right? It was to me, to my mind, one of the best celebrations I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and the game, uh, between Yuri, between Yushi, uh, Snizzle and, um, and Schuster, Mm-hmm. When was this? This was like two cycles ago as that well, was 20, right? That was 2014, uh, 23rd. Yeah. yeah. Right, where Schuster cracked the five-bagger to go? Like yep. it, That was a very tense match, too. Like That's like, I think it's fantastic curling, personally. So Yeah, poor poor Yuri Snittel uh, lost the last game to go to the Olympics twice. Yeah, which, which sucks, for sure. Uh, well, Jonathan, you want that tournament to be a big deal, have one of those five teams that we just talked about wind up having to play in it, and then it's going to be a big deal. Oh, there'll be, there's going to be some good teams that, that are going to be in that event. This it's each cycle. It gets harder. The field gets deeper, especially, especially in like that four to eight range at the worlds. That's the place the field's really gotten stronger. I'd say over the last, the last couple of cycles, um, and that's exactly the, the range where, but the top tier of the OQE is going to pop up. So there'll be some good teams for sure. All right. So that is our world's preview. Thank you to Soren Gran for coming on to tell us a little bit about China. If you want to know more about the Danish team, go listen to our interview with Mads Norgard. Uh, if you want to know more about how the U.S. has been doing, go listen to our interview with CEO Jeff Plush. So 
looking forward to the Worlds. If you're in the U.S., uh, you're going to be able to see some games. Six games have been selected for broadcast for the United States. Five will be on Olympic Channel. And then the game between Schuster and Botcher on April 5th will be carried on NBCSN. Complete TV coverage will be released by the WCF, but you can expect at least one game per draw to be available on their YouTube channel. And if it's not being shown in the U.S., it will not be blacked out. And uh, as usual, every Team Canada game is going to be on in Canada on TSN. Jonathan, any thoughts before we get out of here? It's going to be fun. (laughs) Honestly, I've been enjoying watching the curling. I think this will be a good event. Um, especially because it's not just who wins the event. What really matters is making the playoffs. So the the early week games actually mm-hmm. have a lot of a lot of pressure on them. That a team that kind of struggles a bit with the ice or the rocks early on in the week and kind of buries themselves in a bit of a hole, they're going to have to grind. I think there's going to be a I think there's going to be a lot of that drama about who just who makes the top six. So that'll make it that'll make it fun too. Since I spent most of this show bagging on the schedule makers, I will give them a shout out. Draw one, Mowat versus Botcher. Draw two, DeCruz versus Adine. So right from the get-go, we've got some great games. No, I, I think it'll be good. I think that's those will be some good games. It's, those are weekend games, right? So get your... I'm not sure what the viewing times are in Europe, but uh, is it is it similar to the Briar viewing times? Looking at mountain time, so the the local time there in Calgary, draw one is 9 a.m., draw two is 2 p.m., and then the third draw is 7 p.m. So here on the east coast of the U.S., you're looking at 9 p.m., 4 p.m., and 11 a.m. So add, when I don't know when you guys switch. I think you add five hours. Yeah, I think it's next next Sunday. Okay, yeah. So add add five hours to those numbers I just so for you guys it'll be four PM nine PM and two AM, I guess. Yeah. For Greenwich Mean Time. Two AM. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, Jonathan. All right. Everybody, enjoy the curling. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we've also we've got some good stuff coming up for you guys for the, our women's worlds preview as well. So Keep an eye out on the feed. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.